to this day, all the sins have been forgiven if people will believe and receive that gift. And then the third thing has yet to happen, and that is going to be the rapture of the church. It's not yet come, but planet Earth will not be the same after that. The, the Bible tells us that two will be in the field, one will be taken, and one will be left. Planet Earth will have thousands, millions, I think, maybe even a billion people, I, I don't know, that are going to disappear. And, and I love that part of those movies where the guy in the plane who's flying the plane disappears or the guy driving the car disappears or the surgeon in the middle of surgery disappears. Um, and I think that's going to happen. I think there's going to be a real brain drain on the planet Earth to those people who know how the, the, the water system and the electrical system and, and all of these things work are going to be gone, many of them believers. Just be at peace. Uh, I, I think there's only like 0.001% of those in Washington, D.C. that will be gone. Um, so... If you were, you were worried about, especially your Democratic Party being affected, mm, probably not. But we need to make a moment. And, and you know, uh, for years at Calvary San Diego, when I pastored, we had a, every New Year's Eve, we had a big band and several sermons, but we did prophecy update. And people from far and wide came. It was an exciting time. But I remember back first doing those, it took a lot of work to find these buried treasures of, of what's happening in the world. And of course, now it's on every second of the news, on every page of the newspaper. Um, you know, Satan, I think, is just mocking us. I really do. I think he's just uh, making fun of us, uh, throwing it in our face and saying, there's nothing you can do uh, about changing this course. And so today we're taking a time, we're, we're starting a tradition, I guess, maybe after every Easter we'll have a, a season on prophecy. We, we will find out if that be the case. So let's start this topic by what is the rapture? When is it coming? For us as believers, this should be a message of comfort. And uh, in John 14, I think Jesus was talking about this very thing. When he said in verse 2 and 3, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Look at that. Prepare a place for you. Come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's all I needed to know right there. I, I don't care if it's in the desert and 180 degrees. As long as Jesus is there, that is heaven for me. In Jesus' prayer, the greatest chap, one of the greatest chapters, not the greatest chapter in the Bible, Jesus prays for us in, in chapter 17, verse 20, where he says, but I don't just pray for these here right now, but I pray for all of those who believe through their word. That's us. We believe through the word of the Bible that they wrote. And he says in verse 24 about us, and all believers, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. This was Jesus' prayer, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. Paul ends on this little section on the rapture, talking about it in 1 Thessalonians 4. Therefore, comfort one another 
with these words? Well, I don't know, but John 14, John 17, those are incredibly comforting words. Now, I need to stop and, and, and verify or clarify something. There are two separate comings of Jesus. And often I've heard people mix them together and, and quite confused. So the first coming of Christ is the rapture. And this is where Jesus doesn't come actually to earth. He comes and is in the space in the heavens where the clouds are. And we actually go to be with him. So he's in the space of earth, but he doesn't actually come to earth. When Jesus actually comes to earth, we know exactly the day and that hour. It says when the Antichrist is in the temple proclaiming himself to be God, he's rejected by all the Jews. You can mark it to the day, three and a half years to the day the second coming of Christ will happen. So when Jesus says the day and hour, we don't know. We do know when that is coming. We know the exact day. It's at the very end of the tribulation period. And Jesus actually comes to earth. So let's, let's look at the two side by side. So first of all, the rapture, that first coming of Christ, so to speak. I, I don't even know if we should call that the first coming of Christ and the second coming. It's sort of confusing. I think we just, just call it the rapture and not the second coming. But either way, it, it's taking up or rapturing all believers. It's an imminent or at any moment. There's that tension that, that was meant to be there. Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 7 says, hey, seeing that the Lord's coming is any moment, don't even get married. He says, stay single because the Lord's coming is near. So even Paul, and I think every generation after that, there was enough signs that are going to be similar to the end times that it, it does a beautiful purifying effect to us when the Lord could come anytime, right? You have to have the right tension. Like on a guitar, if you have not enough tension, it's all flat. If you have too much tension, it's too sharp. It's got to be the exact perfect tension, doesn't it? And that gives you the beauty of the guitar. In the same way, us and our sinful bodies on this planet, we, we need a, a tension. So the one end of the guitar, we have the grace and the mercy and, and, and God's salvation is a free gift, not of ourselves, not of our works. On the other end of the guitar is not justification, but sanctification. And that is up to us. And it does take our effort of giving ourselves daily, taking up the cross daily, following Jesus, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. There's a tension there where we daily have to beat our body in subjection. We daily have to crucify our flesh with his passions and desires. This is the will of God, our sanctification. And as we go into the last days, if you are a last days generation, there are particular things that we are to be doing. And we're going to cover a little bit of that at the end of the sermon today. But there is an awareness of that time that we really need to wake up and be ready. So at any moment, it could happen. The third thing on the rapture is it comes in the air, not on earth. The next thing, we are caught up in the clouds to him. All believers will receive our new bodies. Isn't that interesting? I'm not going to go into it right now, but everybody who's died right now to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, all believers that have died. 
but they don't have their new body yet. We actually all get our new bodies together at the rapture. So for those already with the Lord, they will rise first in their new bodies, a nanosecond before us. We'll be caught up with the Lord and we'll all graduate together in our brand new bodies at the same moment. And then um, in the rapture, only those who are believers will see him, not the unbelieving world. And then we are taken up to heaven with him. He claims us, the church, as his bride. We have a seven-year marriage supper of the Lamb. We have our honeymoon, so to speak. Uh, It's before the tribulation begins, a pre-trapture. Now, we're going to probably mention, but there'll be a mid. There's some people who believe in a mid, the three-and-a-half-year period. Some believe in post, at the end of the tribulation period, right before Christ comes, they get raptured and come right back with the Lord. Again, those are, I have problems with those. Then there's an amillennial position that says, no, everything in the book of Revelation happened in 70 AD. There is no rapture. It doesn't, it's not in the Bible. And the Lord is one day going to come back to a saved earth. We are all going to affect the world. We're going to take over the governments of the world. And Christ will come back when everybody is a believer and in obedience to Christ. That's the amillennial position. I don't agree with any of those except the pre-trib. And we will cover that and why I believe that is, but not now. So the second coming of Christ... Uh, Again, it's at the end of the tribulation period. No one is taken up at all. There's no snatching away. There's nobody going up. Everybody's coming down. And Jesus comes to earth. Every eye shall see him like a lightning bolt out of the sky. Believers actually return with Christ, side by side with Christ, to the earth, specifically to the Mount of Olives. And then uh, Jesus at this time is no longer the the Lamb of God, or the the humble servant. He is the mighty warrior and the king. Uh, It it concludes with the day of wrath, which at the very end of the tribulation, it ends the tribulation period. And at that point is the day of judgment. All men will be judged. And I also might mention demons will be judged at the white throne judgment, the judgment of condemnation and to what degree of hell they're going to be in for eternity. Satan's going to be judged to hell. He's going to be bound. The earth is now going to be ruled by Christ, and his righteousness will be established in the thousand-year reign, and we also will rule and reign with him. So let's look at the key aspects of the rapture. Number one, it brings about our deliverance. So before the world goes into a tribulation period, the Antichrist, which is Satan possessing a man, is going to rule this world. He's going to establish a one world economic system, which you have to have the mark 666 to buy or sell. He's going to have a one world army. And then he's going to create a one world religion where everybody worships him, ultimately. And the whole world will receive him somewhat, fragilely for a time. And of course, he's rejected. Uh, almost by all the world at three and a half year period and begins to war against the world, which ends in a final war in the Armageddon Valley where all the armies of the world are fighting against Satan and against one another. And then Christ comes back and joins that battle. And uh, we will see that 
in Revelation 19 and 20, what a slain that Christ will do at that time. So we're not going to be a part. The tribulation period, it's, it's the judgment of Christ on earth as angels are judging. He's pouring out the bowls of his wrath and the seven trumpets or eight trumpets of, of uh, him pouring out um, the various judgments on the earth and those who have loved the lie and not believed the love of the truth. So we will escape this great tribulation, Matthew 24, 21 says. First Thessalonians 1, 10 says, And we wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is, Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. In Revelation 3, 10, talking to the seven churches, he says, And I will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole earth. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 9 through 11, it says, For God did not appoint us to wrath. Big amen on that. But obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we awake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, what? Comfort each other and edify one another just as you do. So the, the days before the rapture are going to be a perilous difficult time. The doctrines of demons are going to get great, even to the point that they're going to deceive believers who are not grounded in the Lord and mature in the Lord and, and don't understand uh, Satan's game plan. God's given it to us, and, and we are to know it. It's, it's amazing, though, when you see the, the various polls that are taken by the Christian organizations. And the, it's hard to believe this as Calvary Chapel people, but the majority of Christians and mainline denominations, they have no idea the word rapture. They have no idea about the tribulation period. Um, they, they, it's very fuzzy about the Lord's return because a big percentage of them don't believe in, in the rapture or the pre-rapture. So it, it, they're very, very ignorant of this. It, it's amazing. And it's interesting because Paul, as we're going to see when we start First Thessalonians, it says, hey, don't be ignorant of this. <laughs> literally talking about end times. Don't be ignorant of this. And this is the very thing the church is ignorant of. And so uh, we, we don't want to be around <laughs> in the tribulation period. We want to receive this great mercy of God and get snatched out of here in the rapture. And it, it, in that word uh, in Thessalonians, to be caught away, we're going to look at it. It's a very strong word. It, it literally means to be jerked. It's a, a forceful, passionate uh, grabbing into the skies to, get our, to be with the Lord and have our new bodies. Well, so it's not just to be delivered from the wrath to come in the tribulation period, but also the second thing is we shall be with Christ forever. Oh, man, I, I can't wait for the rapture for this reason alone, to be with Christ forever. I love that song. Maybe we'll sing it next week. I think we will. When we all get to heaven. You guys remember that old hymn? When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Okay, good warm up for next week. You guys are spot on, but what a day. I mean, it's mind-boggling to me to be snatched up. Sometimes when I hear a loud noise, I'm like, is that it? Is that the Trump? <laughs> Woohoo! You know, I don't know if we'll even, 
hear it. You know, we're just going to be, there's going to be one blasting, but I think we're going to be more concentrating on getting caught up and being with the Lord. Well, again, in John 14, I want to read this again in verse 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So for 2,000 years, he's been preparing a place for us. Now take, in, in, in retrospect, it took six days to make this incredible earth. He's been working on our wedding chamber for over 2,000 years, or about 2,000 years, close to it. So he goes on to say, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. Oh, we the church are the bride of Christ. He's, he's left his bride in the world temporarily to that he might sanctify her, but then he's going to come again and take us to himself. So the bride of Christ, the church, is what's going on. He loves us. And again, John 17, 24, once again, I want to focus on a little different part of it this time. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am so they may see what? My glory, which you've given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. We're, gonna, we're studying in Exodus Wednesday night. There's going to come a place where Moses says, I want to see it. And God says, nobody can see it and live. But I'll let you see the, the trailing end of that glory. And even that, Moses' face was so bright that no other human being could look at him because it was just penetrating. And so Jesus is like, no human and human in our human suit has ever been able to do this. But now in your new body, we're still humans, but in our new body, you can look at the glory. And I got a feeling uh, there's no words that can be expressed to explain that. You just got to experience it. But interesting, he is equally excited about showing our glory to the Father. So yes, he's going to rapture us up and we're going to see his glory, but he is, ex he is excited about us and him seeing our glory. In Ephesians 5.27, he, Christ, might present himself the church in all her, what? Glory. Having no spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, but that we should be holy and blameless, or perfect in perfection. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become, what? The righteousness of Christ. Not put on a jacket, not, not put on a, a medal of right. No, we become, our nature becomes righteous as our heart and spirit are now. God has made them righteous as a gift. Revelation 19, verse 7 and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has and his wife has been made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So as we are heading to be in glory, to see his glory, the bride is aware of this, and, and she is trying to live out the righteousness position that Christ has given us. 
When we leave this body, we're going to be in perfect righteousness, exactly like Christ. We're going to be twins, okay? Everybody in heaven is going to look just like Jesus in righteousness. But the bride now, in a practical sense, why on earth is trying to live that life in a manner worthy of such a calling? Well, as we take a look at 1 Thessalonians, the main chapter here on this, Paul gives some detailed explanation of the rapture. So in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 17, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, Yee-hee! I get my bride! With the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. So it sounds like the shout is going to have a mixture of a voice, of a trumpet, uh, of all of these things, uh, a musical voice. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Uh, most theologians think this is the Baptist church. Um, no, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. I love the Baptist. Just a pure joke. Um, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. Take a note of that word. Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. So those who are in heaven with the Lord now in spirit, not in their permanent future heavenly body, they're waiting for us. They come and at the moment in the air in this graduation service where the bride gets caught up to be with the Lord, we all at one time get that new body. The word caught up in the Greek is the word harpazo. So you say, well, why do we say rapture? So people said, well, I don't know if I believe in the rapture. The word rapture is not in the Bible. And I say, do you believe in the Bible? And they're like, yes. Well, the word Bible is not in the, word, in the Bible either. <laughs> Um, no, these, these are words that, that are from other languages. And so in the Latin Vulgate, which the theology uh, comes from a, a latter sense, it's the word raptura or rapturos. And, and that's where we get that word rapture. And, and we've sort of English-sized it and popularized it. So yeah, it, you know, it's just the way this, this time is. You know, if the Lord does tarry and wait 300 years, it might be harpazo, you know. Yeah, I'm going to have a sermon on harpazo. It's like, what? Um, it'll make sense to them at that time. But harpazo, rapture, caught up, snatched away, many different ways to say it. Well, the third thing is our transformation. I've mentioned it a couple times, but this sin-stained body will have a brand new perfect body. And, and the reason I bring this up, because it may be surprising to you that it actually is our human body that gets resurrected. Jesus, when they went into the tomb, was he there? Was his corpse there? <laughs> no, he had a bodily resurrection. And there's many verses on this. I won't even try to go into all of them. I'm going to show a few of them. Jesus is the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead. So Jesus makes it clear, just as he was raised from the dead, we shall be raised from the dead. So our molecules um, are going to be gathered up, and with those human molecules, we'll be given a new body, sort of like a seed. You see this little dark brown seed, and you're going, what? And, and it said on the, on the picture, a big, giant, blooming, beautiful pink flower. You're going, what? But you plant that in the ground, and 
It's a miracle every time. It really is. I know we can explain how that miracle works, but all you get is this giant plant from that little tiny seed to this big, beautiful flower. In the same way, our bodies are this little, tiny, ugly-looking, sinful seed. (laughs) But when the Lord gets done with it, it'll be this magnificent new body, a bodily resurrection. So people say, well, what about those that are lost in the sea and the million fish eat it and take it to the four corners of the earth? I don't think anything hard for God. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I understand that, that the bones turn to dirt and the dirt helps fertilize the ground and part of the chemicals from the human body go into the dirt, go into the grass and the cows eat the grass and now the cows have part of that body that they got through the grass and so how could God do that? I don't think it's gonna be hard. Of course, today we know from DNA all you need is one little piece of spit. <laughs> and we can, I mean, it's amazing now. They, they don't even have to have DNA. They actually touch DNA. It's like you barely touched a piece of, of something. They can just get a sort of a shadow of your DNA. And then they can put it in and say, this is most likely what you look like. And it is you. It's amazing. Your hair, that little tiny touch DNA has your height, your facial structure, your color of your hair, your nationality, where you came from historically, your roots, and, and all of the, it's, it's amazing. So I, I think God doesn't need our whole DNA, you know what I mean? I mean, just a, a, a microscopic one mount is plenty, but I, I think he's got it covered. I, I don't think you need to worry about that. And it's interesting, in Revelation, it actually says, and he raptures, he, he gathers those who are in the seas, he actually says that and, and takes them up. So he's just letting you know, hey, even if a person died at sea and got ate by a million fish and spread all over the planet, not a problem. Well, in Romans 6, 4, it says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in the newness of life, just like Jesus. Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 1 Corinthians six fourteen, and God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. In Revelation 1, 5, it says he's the firstborn from the dead. Everybody who raised from the dead after him will be just like his resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 37 to 38, and what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but it's a mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each a seed its own body. In verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, but raised in incorruption. In 1 Corinthians 15, 43 now, it is sown in dishonor, but raised in glory. Sown in weakness, but raised in power. In verse 44 of 1 Corinthians 15, as it's sown a natural body, it also be raised a spiritual. There's a natural body and there's a spiritual body. And then in verse 48, as was the man of dust, so also those who are a man of dust, as it is the heavenly man, so also those who are heavenly. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 to 53 there, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. 
We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. I love it when churches have that in the infant's room. We shall all, we shall uh, not all sleep. Well, that's true if you've taken care of infants, but we'll all be changed for sure. In an hour and a half service, they're going to have to be changed. But in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the last trump, the trump that will sound, and the dead will rise first imperishable, and we will be changed. For this imperishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. Philippians 3 now, verse 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into a conformity with the body of what? His glory. Wow. By the uh, exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So this old body, this humble, sinful body, that we often agree with Paul, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. That story is going to be a faint memory. We're going to have a new glorious body, a sinless body, a perfect body. The moment we are raptured, caught up to be with the Lord in the air. Again, this is a great verse in 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. John 1.12 tells us that as many as receive him to them are given the right, given the children of God. It's not yet appeared as yet what we will be. They're asking ancient John, hey, tell us what's going to be like when we get to heaven. He says, uh, we know when he appears, we'll be like him because we will see him just as he is. So notice that our new body, what's it going to be like? It's going to be like Jesus' body. That's all that we need to know, isn't it? Isn't that crazy exciting? We're going to meet the Lord in the air at any second. And we should be eager for that second to come soon. And that's what our fourth thing we're going to look at talks about. Believers should be eagerly waiting. If you're not, I, I, can, I can remember in high school, many of my high school friends had a similar story. I remember one of my friends, Philip, who has gone to be with the Lord, but he, he shared a story at the youth group where he, he came home and the front door was open, a crack. He went in and there was his mom's purse and his mom's keys on the table. And he began to shout, Mom, Mom, Dad, nothing. He goes into the garage and the radio's playing and one of the tools, the engine was on, like a bandsaw or something was on. And he thought, the rapture's coming, I've been left behind. And, and then his parents came in from the backyard. Uh, the dog was getting out, they all had to run out there real quickly. But he's like, that's it, man. I, I'm a sinner, forgive me, I, I wanna rededicate my life to the Lord. I can't, I can't have this pressure. Um, uh, sometimes it's that way, but it shouldn't be. We should be abiding in Christ and, and there is no concern or doubt. Titus chapter 2 verse 13 says the same grace that saved us is the same grace that sanctifies us. And, he, and then he, in verse 13, he says, looking now for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus the great hope and glorious appearing. This is our hope. This is our excitement. In Hebrews 9.28, So Christ also, having offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, 
for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly wait for him. So there's sort of a, a nuance there that you know if you're ready for the rapture or not, whether you're excited or scared, whether you're timid about it, going, eh, I don't know, or you're, you're confident. You should be a great joy and confidence. Paul says this in the very last moments of his life. These are the last words Paul ever pens in 2 Timothy 4.8. He says, now finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. He's confident, isn't he? No, no, no lack of confidence in those words. But he goes on to say, and not to me only, but to all those who have what? Loved his appearing. So these crowns and these rewards are going to come to those who are having this abiding, fruitful life in Christ. And they're, they're excited for that day because they know it's a graduation and it's a graduation that they're gonna get honors in. Going back to 1 John 3, we just read verse two about we don't know what we'll be like, but we know when we see him, we'll be just like him. But then notice what happens when we think on these things about like the rapture. He says in verse three of 1 John 3, and everyone who has this hope in him does what? Purifies himself just as he is pure. So the tension I talked about earlier with the guitar strings, this tension of, wow, am I excited about the Lord coming back or am I worried about the Lord coming back? I preached sermons like this before and, and people have, you know, this coming Friday night, uh, they plan on going to a party where they're going to get high and do coke and get drunk and it's going to be all kinds of other sinful things there. And they're at church on Sunday morning, uh, having planned this with their friends or been invited and are, are waffling whether they should go or not. And they hear this kind of sermon going, not till the following week after I repent. Um, not this week, though, I'm going to that party. Yeah, see, that, that's where, uh, let, let the thought that the rapture could happen any moment purify you and keep you unstained by the world in that very tension. Well, the fifth thing we're going to look at concerning it is, are you rapture ready? Are you prepared? Are you ill-prepared? And this is one of the teachings on the rapture. It is to say, hey, if you're not in tune, if your guitar is flat or sharp, hey, let the thought of an immediate return of Christ coming in a moment and a twinkling of an eye, let that deeply affect you. This is what he's saying. Are you ready? Here are some of the verses on, on the need to be prepared for these last days. Boy, James nails it in James chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. For example, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gives the early and the latter rains. That's a prophecy out of Joel. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near or at hand. So he's saying, like the farmer, he plants the seed and he waters and he weeds, and but there's... He, he can't rush the harvest, can he? he? As much as he would like to plant it and go out the next day and harvest, he's got to wait. And it depends on the weather. Sometimes it, 
It'll happen in the first week of May. Sometimes it won't happen until the first week of April. Sometimes you're not, you, you gotta wait. You did all this hard work and you're doing all this work, but you gotta wait and wait and wait until finally it's yes, we can now harvest. In the same way, he is saying, brethren, be a Christian with that farmer's heart. In Revelation 2.25, he says, nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. So one of the things in the Christian in the last day is that farmer, but he's holding fast. He's waiting diligently, keeping himself ready. Listen to what Jesus says about this this return that could happen anytime. In Matthew 24, verse 36 to 42, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For in the days before the Lord, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until that day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming. Jude, again, speaking about the last day's believers. If you read the whole letter of Jude there in verse 20, he picks up on this point. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourself in the love of God, Love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, the first and greatest commandment. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and to eternal life. Amen. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled for their flesh. So when the rapture comes, these, some of these believers are, are so not ready that as they're being raptured, you can still smell the sexual sin or the drugs or the alcohol or whatever it is on their clothes and of what they're sinning. And, and, and he says their little butt is getting singed <laughs> by the fires uh, as they're getting raptured into heaven. In verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. It's the mercies of God, and that we cry out, going, Lord, help me. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I, I want to do what your Spirit wants me to do, but, oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Thank you, Jesus. There's no condemnation in you, but more than that, Lord, I want a joyful entry into that day, into that kingdom. The third thing is we need to be faithful. As we're looking at number five, are you ready? The first thing is we, we need to realize it's a season, a generation to endure. Secondly, uh, as we, are we ready? We need to keep our eyes upon Jesus, and be ready for a rapture at any moment. The third thing is this, be faithful servant to the end. In Mark 13, verse 22 to 37, uh, verse 34, I'm sorry, uh, it says, it is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in evening or at midnight or the crowing of the rooster or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, 
I say to all, watch. And then down to verse Matthew 24, starting in verse 45 there. Then is a faithful, who is the faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom the master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, he will make him ruler over all his goods. Now into 2 Timothy 2, verse 3 through 7, he says, man, we are called to be soldiers of Jesus Christ, enduring hardship, not being entangled with affairs of everyday life. Secondly, we're to be athletes who run according to the rules that we might be crowned. And then thirdly, the hardworking farmer, he'll be the first to receive of the crops. And then in verse 7, 2 Timothy 2, 7, a most interesting verse. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in what? All things. So there's so many aspects of Christianity that, that it really does take the power of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. I don't think any of us would pray as we ought to pray without the Holy Spirit empowering us to do so, drawing us, right? Giving us a hunger that we wouldn't have unless God in his mercies gave us. We wouldn't have the diligence day in, day out as that hardworking farmer unless God's grace is sufficient. But he says, as you are trying to be a soldier, enduring hardship, not entangling yourself with the affairs of everyday life, that you might please him who enlist, enlisted you into this army. This athlete who runs according to the rules, this hardworking farmer, as you are sprinting towards being each one of these guys in different aspects, understand that there's just the key to life. Everything's going to come together. Consider what I say, and, and the Lord will give you sort of a, a wisdom in all things. There'll be a, a clarity on all things. And it, and it says that, right, in Psalms 1, if we meditate in God's word day and night, all we do will prosper. We can pray with our mind. We can pray when our mind's unfruitful. We can pray without ceasing. In the same way, we need to wake up in the morning and say, I'm a soldier. I'm an athlete. I'm a hardworking, diligent farmer. And the Lord's return could be today. And I want to be found, not lacking, but ready for that moment. The fourth thing on are you ready is to be set apart as the church of Christ. It's interesting that the focus on the rapture is not about us individually so much, because we, in America, we think so individualistically. But the, the point is the body of Christ as the bride. Jesus isn't saying, I'm going to, you know, rapture that guy, the guy, the guy, the guy. No, he's rapturing all believers who make up the bride of Christ. And in Ephesians 5, he doesn't say that, that Christ loves us individually. It says Christ loves the church. It doesn't say that Christ died for you individually. It says, and Christ died for the church. Christ loves the church. And I, I understand that we as the church, we're in sinful bodies in a sinful world. We're not perfect, right? We're counting on Jesus making us perfect, ready for that day. But this is it. God loves us, warts and all, right? God loves us. And, and we need to understand that the church is very important. What did he say? I will, what? Build my church. There's only a handful of things going to heaven. Jesus' scars on his body is going to heaven. 
The tears, he says, he's kept in a bottle in heaven. But here's another thing that's going to go to heaven, the church. <laughs> I'll be glad I go see Jesus. I can not have to put up with his church. Uh, actually, that's his bride. <laughs> that's front and center for eternity. If you have a problem with the church. But what's going to happen is exactly what's happening. Satan is a shrewd marketer. And he's doing everything he can to make the church look silly and stupid and, and weak. This is his plan. So in Hebrews 10, a verse I've mentioned quite a bit, he says, consider. That word, let us, in Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider one another to stir up. That word stir up, I'm sorry, I, I got it wrong. Consider is like calculate, do the math. The word stir up is to provoke, to irritate, literally. Be irritating. And cause people to love more than they wouldn't love on their own. Cause them to do good works they wouldn't do unless you were there provoking them, encouraging them. And then he says, in particular, of all these good works, to make sure they don't stop the assembling of themselves together. So in the last days, I think people will just quit going to church. That's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 2, the coming of the Lord or 2 Thessalonians 2, it's not going to happen until the apostasia, the falling away of the church. And then he goes on to say, exhort one another so much more as you see the day approaching. That word exhort, sometimes translated beg, plead. It's a strong word, provoke, irritate people to love and good works. In particular, irritate them, get on your knees and beg them to be a part of the church corporately, especially as you see that you're in the last days. And then the fifth thing is, are you ready? Give yourself to prayer like you never have before. Listen to Jesus in Mark 13, verse 32 to 33. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. So take heed, watch, and pray. In 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in what? In your prayers. This is a time to pray. And then the next thing is to abide. Are you ready? Abide in him. We know John 15 very well. You're the branch, I'm the vine. You got to abide in me in order to bear much fruit. If you don't bear much fruit, then you're not proving yourself to be a disciple. But if you bear much fruit, so my father uh, will be glorified and you prove yourself to be a disciple. So this is just, it's a necessity. Not abiding, we bear no fruit. Abide in him, we bear much fruit. Abide in him and you will pray. If you abide in him, you will pray, and God will answer those prayers. Same author, John, talking about abiding later on in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, talking about the last days and the spirit of the Antichrist. He says, now little children, here he is again, abide in him. But this time, it's not about bearing fruit, it's something different. The reason you want to abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. 
Sort of sounds like that Jude passage where it's hard to distinguish who is what. But he says here, there are believers that are going to get raptured. Jude says, hating even the garments they're wearing that have been defiled. But here he says, there are some Christians, they're going to be raptured. But the moment they're in heaven with all the other believers are in the sky, with all the other believers getting their new body, their sense isn't going to be this joyful entry. It's going to be... Man, I wish I had spent the last year, last decade, really seeking the Lord. And then the last thing here is, as we abide, we pursue to live a life of holiness. In 1 Peter 1, verse 13 to 15, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. And then in 2 Peter 1.10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. In verse 11 now, 2 Peter 1.11, and so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So some are going to be shrinking away in shame. They're still going to heaven because salvation is a gift of God. It's not by our works, but they haven't given themselves to sanctification and to honor. They haven't been walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, and they know it. And they know that of all generations of Christians, this is the most important one, to be living a holy life. One more verse on this in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the grace of God that brings salvation is the same grace that teaches us to deny ungodliness, worldly lust, and it teaches us also to be sober, to be righteous, and to live a godly life in this present age. And then, as we read earlier, looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we conclude today... We see that the rapture of the church, hand in hand, talks about abiding in Christ. When we talk about the rapture of the church, it talks about the Christian being ready for the rapture. And it's a very important point. So the question is, are you ready? Are you living rapture ready? Are you abiding in him? Are you an abundant entry, as Peter talks about, or shrinking away in shame? talks about. Here's a list of qualities and practices that characterize hiding in Christ. So here's the quiz. Number one, you have a hunger for and a devotion to God's word. Secondly, you have, hated, you have a hatred for sin and repent of all known sin. Number three, your life is being transformed so that you're becoming more Christ-like. Number four, you're eagerly looking for to the Lord's return. 
eagerly looking forward to the Lord's return. Number five, you've demonstrated genuine humility by dying to yourself and putting others first. Number six, you're devoted to glorifying God. Number seven, you separated yourself from the world. Number eight, you've devoted yourself to prayer. Number nine, you're obedient to God's will as he reveals it to you. And number 10, your love for God is greater than your love for anything else. It's a fairly general, basic list. But as we know, the rapture is coming. The Lord, we are in the last days. We are in the days of Noah. We are in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. The whole world is being swayed by the demonic antichrist spirit that's about ready to take over the monetary system, isn't it? We'll talk some more about that next week. But then also, the world's religions are going to be looking for one person to bring peace. And when they say peace and safety, you know that's the last thing you're going to get from the Antichrist. So today, we've studied this event called the Rapture. It's an immediate thing that's going to happen in a moment, twinkling of eye, before the great tribulation period, which will bring the wrath of God, and we're not appointed to wrath, so we'll be raptured out of here. It'll be a joyful reunion with our Savior, and we'll all get our brand new glorified body suitable for heaven as his bride. We should be eagerly waiting, anticipating with glorious event. It should be exciting. The Lord's coming back. Yee, maybe today. Then lastly, the most important, we should currently be faithfully abiding in Christ that we will have confidence when he appears and not shrink away in shame at his appearing. Lord, we come before you now as we Look at this message. And we do know, Lord, that all of us need to come to you and say, Lord, search my heart right now. See if there be any wicked way in me, Lord, and lead me in the way of everlasting life. Take me into your hands right now. Take me into your arms right now, Lord, and draw me to yourself. We look for the great, great grace and that revelation that's to be brought of you in that last day. And we look for your mercies, God. We know it's your mercies drawing us here today. We know it's your Holy Spirit leading, washing us in the water of the word today. And to, this word's gonna go out to many others. Maybe if you tarry 10 years from now, somebody will hear this and realize it applies more to them now than ever before. But Lord, we can't imagine a day that's different than how you described it before the rapture. Exactly as you have prophesied, so we are seeing things unfold. And so, Lord, we, we know that your return is near and it is our salvation to get out of this sinful, perverted world where men's hearts are evil continually as in the days of Noah and violence permeated the earth to get out of this Sodom and Gomorrah where our righteous soul is vexed every day as so was Lot's. Lord, we, we come and, and just say, Lord, thank you for your word. Wash us now in the water of it and cause our lives to rejoice. And please, Lord, make us effective evangelists. Make us people that share your word. Use us as a vessel, Lord, to shout it from the mountaintops. How beautiful are the feet of those who spread the good news, especially in the last moments of these last days. We just come to you now and thank you. If you're here today and you haven't asked the Lord into your life or you're listening online or 
Listen in the future. Right now, you just cry out, Jesus, I receive you. As many as receive him, to them he becomes children of God. I am a sinner, and I thank you for your cross that paid the penalty of my sin, your burial for three days that you were clearly dead, and your resurrection conquering my sin and death. I receive you as Lord and Savior. And I see myself, not individually anymore, but as the body of Christ, as the part, a hand, a foot, and I, as the bride of Christ, we come, Lord, collectively to you, of one heart, of one voice, of one mind, to seek you first in your kingdom and your righteousness. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.